0: Okay, boys and boys, welcome to Pushing Rubber Podcast. Adam Piggott, your host, coming at you here on the first day of February, uh, the first day of uh, Great Britain's uh, freedom from the tyranny of the European Union. Uh, Nigel Farage, of course, the man of the moment. Good on you, Nigel. Good on you, mate. Well done. Very well done, old chap. Um Best politician of the modern era? I think so. Um single minded focus, get one job done. His job done now and Nigel's off. Oh just one moment. Hang on. I should start this again. Uh, I'm not gonna. There we go. Ah, uh, the sound of freedom. Um Saturday afternoon, and I've just spent the most marvelous day. Let me tell you about my day. Lean back, put this on pause, go get yourself a nice brewski. Lean back in your favourite chair, put the fire on, put your feet up, uh, put the dog out, tell the wife that, uh, to go and do the shopping. And uh, let me tell you about my day. Um, and in order to understand my day, you have to understand the little, the place where I live here in Leiden, it's like a little enclave, a little community of its own on this island with a big windmill. And I live in one of the old workers' cottages for the lumber mill when it was a working mill. And there's about five families here. Um, Most have been here for at least, well, 30, 40 years. And it's very private, but it's also everyone's there for each other as well. You can drop in for a drink bottle of wine knocking the door bottle of rum whatever suits your fancy whatever tickles your toenails um but we don't get in each other's face and I, i'm i've been very fortunate to lob in purely by chance to this place when i the ex-wife got the house threw me out and needed a place found this one to rent, and it, it's simply marvelous it's on the water it's in front of a dutch windmill How much cliched do you want to be than this? Uh, Not much more, really. Um, And one of my neighbours is a marvellous chap uh, called Ton. And he's into advertising. He's an advertising, owns his own advertising agency uh, in his mid-60s. And lovely guy. And we got on very well. Because we have kind of similar backgrounds in the sense of uh, gallivanting around the world and doing crazy things, what everyone else thinks is uh, not possible or beyond the pale or a little bit out there, shall we say, and pulling it off, pulling it off. Um, and today he 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 took me out for a... Uh, a tour of the Ha Den Haag, the Hague, and his favourite spots. Um, and what I should do is, I should, I should have been more organised on this, but I can, I can sort it out. We went on a bit of a tour, and we started at an art gallery called the Panorama. Uh, And the panorama is a painting, Um, it's a a cylindrical painting of the sea uh, close to the Hague in a place called and which is a very uh, uh, hard word to pronounce. And I'll put a link in on the show notes of this. And basically you enter and it's, a, it's a, a normal art gallery there's there's pictures on the wall mostly by a guy called uh, Hendrik willem uh, Mestark. and you enter a kind of like a tunnel and then you climb these very steep circular stairs and you come up into like a cupola which is an observation gallery in the center of the room and the painting the panorama painting is, 120 meters in circumference, uh, and 14 meters high, and hand painted oil painting, um, and it's in it's com- it surrounds the observation uh, gallery. It's just like which is like a kind of like a, set up like a um, a beach dome or something like that, and the paintings on the wall, and it shows. The town at the time in the late nineteenth century, uh, the the sea, the the little the little village, uh, all these little things that are going on, and then they've put sand like actual sand in in like a dune formation with stuff washed washed up on the beach, um, and you've got uh, like fishing nets and stuff like that, old tackle blocks, and then you've got this recorded sound of. Uh, of seagulls and the sound of the sea itself and it really is the most amazing thing i've never seen anything quite like it um just um absolutely fascinating absolutely um very uh very hard to get it to, to get really get a grasp of it but you really do think you really do think that you're there um in the middle of it and just uh yeah i i, I don't know you've got to see it and it's not it's, it's something like i'll tell you what any any people in the, in the future, that any friends of mine that come to Holland, um, will definitely be uh, taking them to see that. Absolutely amazing. Then we went to uh, another uh, art gallery, which is the um, in, in The Hague, the Moritz House, where they have the Vermeers. You've probably seen the girl with the pearl earring um looking over her shoulder that's there a whole bunch of um Rembrandt's um the Vermeers were the outstanding one actually the not not the girl in the pearl earring but the the the, the painting of Delft that he did which is truly remarkable and honestly I think the best the best oil painting I've ever seen um Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, and then we went on a real tour of uh, by foot of the the this area of the of the Hague. And what a marvelous, marvelous town! And I, I had really no idea that it existed like this. And got a fantastic lunch at the best Indonesian restaurant in town. And of course indonesia being a former dutch colony huge bay windows and we had a we had a seat right on the window on the corner there so much traffic going past us everyone looking fabulous wonderful stuff um then a further walk uh oh and before that when we first started off this morning we went to his his club the football club of which he's a very important member and the interesting thing is it's also a cricket club in the summer, a Dutch cricket club, and they've actually won the Dutch Championship a couple of times, and they've got three senior teams. So yours truly, a marvellous club, marvellous. Really set up beautifully, lovely amenities. Uh, it was all going on when we were down there because football season's obviously in full swing, and I think it was the under-15s were playing. place was packed. Um, great set up. And, of course... I'm the Australian who's rocked up. Australians are kind of well known for cricket and I can play a little bit, I dabble. So uh, I've been drafted in and April is going to be pre-season training. God help me that's only a couple of months away. And but it's a it's a private club, so you can't just you can't just rock up and say, Oh, "I'm Australian, can I play cricket with you?" because they're going to be Nah, nah, nah. Um, but because I'm I'm there with Ton and Ton's very keen that I get down there, then I have have a foot in the door. The really lovely thing about today was the fact that last time Ton and I spoke, well, we had a drink, a bottle of wine at my place. He popped over uh, with a bottle of wine. the the, the best The best. Guests that you have are the ones who turn up the door with a cold bottle of white burgundy. I tell you what, and we polished that off when we were talking about art. And I mentioned I'd been in to see the Rembrandts in Amsterdam at the uh, at the art gallery there. And he said, "Well, have you been to uh, the Murat House in, uh, in in Den Haag?" And of course, I had no idea what he was talking about. He said, "Well, you've got to go there." And I said, "Well," he said, "I'll take you." And I said, "Okay," didn't even hesitate. Absolutely. And the fact that I didn't hesitate was the reason that the day came off. And that's kind of the point of this podcast. It's not to tell you about my nice day, my lovely day. Uh, Oh, and we drove in his Mercedes uh, 350 SL coupe, sports car, whatever it was. Marvellous. But we spoke over lunch. We spoke about putting yourself out there. About about taking a punt, a little bit of risk. And he was talking about how most people he meets, if he suggested, or he made the suggestion. If you if you if you poke out the the slight suggestion and you need the other person to take it up, the vast majority of them won't take it up, or they'll or they'll turn it down, and they'll find oh I can't because of this, blah blah blah, boom boom boom. And you can't go through life in that way. You've got to take up those little offers and those opportunities. And honestly, to be given a guided tour of some of the some of these places in a city like The Hague by an insider, a guy who's lived in the area his whole life and who has all sorts of contacts, is an opportunity, apart from the fact that he's just a great guy and we get on very well shooting the shit. It's the kind of opportunity that you just can't pass up. Like tourists travel around the world and they want to have the insider experience. There's nothing worse than being a tourist who's aware that they're a tourist. If you're an ignorant tourist, you just walk around with a camera and a tour map and looking lost and Hawaiian shirt and you know, socks with sandals, you're fine, you're fine because you're an ignorant individual and and we're fine, not judging. You're perfectly content and happy, you'll have a wonderful time. But a tourist who is aware that they're on the outside but wants to be on the inside, wants to know where to go, where the places are, that's when it gets frustrating. That was Cappy's problem when he came to Europe on his European trip. If he's travelling across Europe and stopping in to eat at McDonald's, or wherever he was, as, as he described the trip to me, I, I just said to him, look, you needed an insider. You needed an insider to take you around. And I consider myself to be, well, in part of Italy where I lived for a long time, over a decade, I'm an insider there. Here in, in, in the Netherlands i'm I'm not there yet I can show you a few places for sure well I can show you a lot more after today um but to have the opportunity to um, experience this sort of stuff is is something that uh that you have to do you can't pass these ones up you can't pass them up as well. Last week I was in Monaco. Uh, my very good friend Milo from my first book. A lot of you were big fans of the character Milo. Well, he's a real person, of course, and he lives in Monaco. He has a company down there, and he's lived there for three years. And uh, he's the whole time I'm in, I've been in Europe for this This. This. This time, he's been in Monaco. And and we catch up in Italy fairly often because uh, he uh, his family live in the valley where I used to live. And he's Australian as well. Excuse me. But I've never got down to Monaco for one reason or another. And a few weeks ago, he said, Dude, Sunday is Australia Day. Last Sunday it was, the 20, 26th of January. And there's a party on at one of the bars down here, an Australia Day party. And there's going to be a few people down there. Come on down. And I was like, Wah. and then he said to me, dude, we're in Europe. You've got to do these things. And he's right. You've got to do these things. So I did it. Jumped on a plane last Saturday morning, KLM, down to Nice, about an hour and a half on the plane, Landed in Nice. Nice airport. Probably after Singapore, the best airport I've seen. Didn't expect that. And uh, grabbed an express bus up the coast. You know, the the French Riviera, the south of France, up through to Monaco, Monte Carlo. And the Monte Carlo Rally was happening that weekend as well, last weekend. And uh, Mick... Has a small um, apartment, um, which overlooks the best hotel in in Monaco, uh, which is the. Wah, 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 wah. Let's have a look. Let's get Monaco up here. Let's have a look. The Hotel Hermitage. His uh, hotel. His his apartment overlooks the Hotel Hermitage, literally where the valets park the cars. Which is actually um, uh, a bit of a problem in a way, because uh, if they have to bring a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or something like that up, they have to they have to run them for ten minutes before they bring them down, and at five o'clock in the morning, that can be well, it's a little bit noisy. Um, so he's right on the racetrack of the F one. The F1 Grand Prix. Um, and uh, and here's the Grand Prix route here. Yeah, there it goes. Boom, 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 Yeah, that's it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I spent a couple of days in Monaco and then I, I flew back on the Monday. And we had a great time. Great time. What a city. Fantastic city. Um. The great thing about Monaco is, unless you're the royal family, as in the royal family of Monaco, no one, no one gives, no one, you're, you, everyone's on the same level. Everyone's on exactly the same level. You're you're a billionaire, no one cares. You're rich and famous. There's a lot of other people there who are rich and famous. So, the the staff, the bar staff, they're, they're all perfectly nice to you. Everyone's and everyone on the street. It's all very, it's, it's 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 true equality. It really is. It's true equality. So many people have money there that it doesn't matter that you've got money if you've got money. I don't have money. But uh, I could have money. I was exactly the same as everyone else there. What, where it really gets, uh, uh, you really see it in actions with the police. Because the police, Monaco is a closed, is its own country. And if they don't want you in there, they'll throw you out. Uh, and Milo had a story about this. He, was, he came out of his elevator and there were two obvious Russian hookers and real obvious ones. And he was kind of looking at them because it, it uh, where his uh, lift comes out, it opens up into a, like a, an arcade with, you know, offices and shops and stuff like that. And he was looking at them. It was a like Saturday morning early or something like that. And he's walking out and looking at these two hookers thinking, mm, you look a little bit out of place. And he said he didn't get 50 metres down the road when literally <coughs> cops... Eh, Asking them questions, five minutes later in the car, gone. I'll drop them out of the principality. See ya. Out you go. So the cops, and you see the cops on all the street corners there, that are standing there, and they look look like they were in chips, 1970s. They got the hat, they got the sunglasses, and by God do they have the attitude. And they do not give a shit who you are. And if you pull the don't-you-know-who-I-am line to the Monaco police, you're in for a bit of a tough time. They're just pulling cars over, and they want to know who you are, documents, what's going on, and they're they're serious about it. It doesn't matter what you're driving. It really doesn't. Um, we walked to the uh, Grand Prix circuit, which is gonna which gives me a real new appreciation for the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, going up the hill after the uh, after the start. Yeah, steeper than I thought. Uh, some of those corners coming out of the tunnel, that's really going down the hill. That's really blind. You can see why they put the chicane down there at the swimming pool. Uh, we walked the whole thing. Um, and the the speed curbing, slanty curby, you know, angly Kirby bits, the red and white ones, they're all there and you can see the the tyre tracks of the F1 cars. Walk, walk through the tunnel. Tunnel uh, La Vorta, I think. It's called... And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then we had, then we had, we went, got a little train in Monaco and went down the coast, to a place called, let me find it, Villa Franck, Villa Franche Soumer, which means French Villa on the Sea. Uh, and it's where the stones hired out a uh, uh, a villa and recorded exile on Main Street in the summer. I think it was 1974 or something like that 75. Gee, it was gorgeous. God the women were tidy. All women, all ages, everywhere. My Lord. The tidiest women I've ever seen. And uh, i got something to say about that. So this week I put up the Hot Chicks and links, And I had a girl in purple. We're calling her the girl in purple. And I got a few comments about the girl in purple. And the girl in purple is pretty special. It's just... There's something about her, but you're not sure what. I'll tell you what it is. It's her shoulders. Okay, she's beautiful. And she's not plastic, which is always a bonus. But it's her shoulders, it's her posture. It's how she's carrying herself. And the other the other the most popular hot chick of the week I've ever put up was a girl in a bikini, a red bikini, with her wet hair, long hair slicked back, uh, walking between some sun lounges or something like that. I've it's it's actually the only hot chick of the week I've put up twice. Um over the last four or five years because she was so popular and once again if you look at her and how she's walking it's her posture her shoulders are right back so you've got a real curve in her um, in her back and that is probably one of the sexiest and easiest things that women can do to make themselves more beautiful, their posture. A rigid, erect carriage with the the chin confidently up, the shoulders back, the back arched, the neck prominent and held high, not slouching, not carrying herself with grace and dignity, girls. Well, you're not supposed to listen to this podcast anyway, because you're chicks. But uh, that's the one. That's the one that uh, that makes or breaks it for me. And if you if you look at a lot of girls, um, they could make themselves so much more attractive just by their posture. But the thing is, with posture, it's got to be. It's definitely taught. This is why girls went to finishing school. In the '40s or '50s, '60s, early '60s, they did stuff like this. And the girl in purple, man, has she got the posture thing nailed? If she was, if she had her waist back five inches, and then she was basically just standing up straight, and maybe hunched a little bit over, it wouldn't even have anywhere close to the same effect that you see. With her on that photo. So check out the Hot Chicks and links of this week. Um, for the girl in the purple dress. And there's something absolutely mesmerising about her. And she... The reason that I put her up there. Apart from the fact that she's hot. she, I saw the photo. It really reminded me of the women down in the south of France. Uh, they weren't all getting around in dresses like that one. But take away the dress and put something... Still very sharp, it was still very chic. because um, that's obviously an evening dress that she's wearing. Um that's what they look like. Just fantastic carriage, the way that they carry themselves. It's so important. It's so important. And if I look back over my series of relationships, the majority of women, including my ex wife, had excellent posture. Um I, I It's got to be one of the things that attracts me to them. I I can't recommend the south of France highly enough at this time of year. Uh, As Milo said to me, in the summer, it's absolutely heaving. But in January, there's still a fair few people around. Don't get me wrong, it was not deserted. There were not tumbleweeds blowing down the deserted streets there were a good number of people there were just the right number of people around because you want to people watch when you're down in places like this it's part of the fun and it was probably about 13 degrees celsius max when i was down there but it was a cloudless sky because it down in in the south of france it either pours with rain for three days or it's just blue sky and in the sun it was it was was at one point we i was down to a t-shirt uh short sleeves because uh it was uh it was so nice um but milo said to me that in the summer 30 is about as hot as it gets 30 degrees centigrade it doesn't go the big 40s 45s that you get in australia in summer that blows you blasts you from the streets themselves it's not that that kind of air it's not that kind of sun so this time of year fabulous Absolutely fabulous. So I'm going back for the Monaco Grand Prix. Milo and I are going to go to that. And he's got someone he in he knows that has kind of a big boat that he tends to moor right in the best spot on the Monaco Grand Prix. So we might be able to uh, wangle our way on to that. Fingers crossed. We'll see how we go. Um, if I do that, of course, there'll be, you know, I'll probably put some photos up for you guys. I didn't take any photos on this trip because I just don't do photos, but in that in that instance I'll I'll do photos. You've got to you've got to put yourself out there. You 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 got to make a little bit of effort. You have got to be willing to have a go. I think that was the thing that characterized myself because even with when I was in Uganda a lot of the guides there just rafted and then drank and chased girls and that was kind of it they didn't really go out and uh, get crazy I had my sidekick one of the other guides uh, I can't remember what non-deplume I gave him In Pushing Rubber Downhill. Hang on. Let me me grab my copy. Pushing Rubber Downhill. From the old library here. And let's see. I haven't got my glasses. Um, Oh, I think I called him Corey. Yeah, it was Corey. It was Corey in in the book not his actual name of course because everyone for some reason everyone wanted me to change their names when I wrote pushing rubber downhill um, I thought that they thought that I was going to really spill the beans on what we got up to and of course I didn't I kept it very moderate in that regard but Corey and I I mean that whole the Kampala goat races that was Corey and I going out to that the other guides weren't there that day they didn't it was just like the goat races and we'd heard all about it and we're like, all right, we're going down, and everyone's like, nah, I can't be bothered. Nah, I'm just gonna not go. Okay, really, really. So we're in, we're in Uganda we're in Kampala, but it's because they were there, you know. We're there for for a couple of years or so. Nah, nah, I can't be bothered. And that was that turned out to be an amazing day. An absolutely amazing day, the Kampala Goat Races. For those of you who haven't read the book, first of all, why haven't you read the book? Because you can read about things like the Kampala Goat Races. Uh, the second of all, the Kampala Goat Races is basically like the Melbourne Cup except goats. And of course, you can't ride goats because they're not big enough, so they have little Ugandan 10-year-old Ugandan boys with a... So there's goat number eight with a yellow bib, and then it'll be boy number eight with a yellow beard, bib attached to that goat, and when the gun goes off, bang the boys start hitting the, the goats hindquarters with sticks and they chase them around the paddock while all the white guys cheer on and have bets with real bookies and stuff. Yes, really. So you can train your own goat. You can enter your own goat in the Kampala goat races. I mean, if I was going to stay in Uganda you know, permanently, I'd be, I'd be breeding goats for the goat races. Why not? Why not? Of course you'd have to do that. But only me and Corey went down there. Everyone else... Eh, I can't. And we ended up bloody getting... British Airways had a marquee down there. And it was full of stewardesses who were part of the flight in that week. And Corey and I are down on the fence, leaning on the fence, watching. And these two gorgeous British Airways... And I'm not making this up. This is what happened. The stewardesses walk up to us and they're like, Hi... And they're like, Corey and I are like, Oh, hi. As you do. And we didn't know there were stewardesses at that point. And they said, Oh, look, we're stewardesses for British Airways. And we knew the stewardesses from British Airways because we always tried to hook up with them when they were in town. And we had quite a bit of success in that thing. And this is what they literally said to us. They said, Um, we're at this big marquee up the hill, and there's there's no good looking guys around. And we've we've looked around and and you guys, you guys are the only ones that, would you would you like to come into the marquee with us? And Colin and I, sorry, I just said his real name. Oh shit, <laughs> fuck it. Colin and I, it wasn't Corey, it was Colin. Colin and I looked at each other and we are like, okay, uh, yeah, 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 we can do that, yeah. And up we went and then we went into this marquee and you could go and you get in, here, in by invitation and we're in and the drinks are all free. And there were probably 15 or 16 stewardesses there and a fun time was had by all. Let's just say that the night went pretty well. Let's just say that there was a big room party back at the Kampala Sheraton. What can I tell you, boys? And then we went back and told the other guides and they were like, oh, you bastards, we should have gone. Yeah, you should have. You should have. Listen, guys, we're on this earth to do things. We're not here to fuck spiders. You know, you have got this one opportunity. You got to get out there. Colin and I used to go. We we our we had a mission to find the dingiest, nastiest bar that we could in Kampala. Let me tell you, we had a lot to choose from. A lot. Once from our the the guide's house on Gab from Gabba Road down to Cablagala, which was a journey of about three kilometers. We decided to do a, a bar crawl where we would stop at every place that sold alcohol and drink one beer and see how far... We didn't make it two kilometres down the road because we'd already had 20 beers each. It was all done. It was over. Gone. Uh, you can open any place and just sell beer. It was ridiculous. Um, anyway, there were the... Uh, the football stadium in Kampala, which was very run down at the time. Um, and the Awino markets were next to it and then the... The, the bus park that could get you anywhere in Africa from that bus park. And it was like a scene out of uh, Tatooine on Star Wars. It's literally, I mean, it's a smoke everywhere and thousands of people and complete chaos and a riot of color and smells. And my God, you got to see it to believe it. And it was surrounded by like five or six story rundown buildings, still with bullet holes and shell holes in them from the war in the 80s. And uh, a lot of Art Deco stuff as well from the British time. And then we noticed that on one of the tallest buildings right on the corner, if you looked right at the top, it looked like it had a very small terrace and it almost looked like it was like, well, looking at it one day, it was like, is that a bar up there? Is that a bar? What do you reckon? It looks like an umbrella, like a bar umbrella. It looks like it a yellow umbrella, like a beer umbrella, you know, that, that beer companies give out to bars or something like that. But how the fuck do you get up there? So we, we walked around the building and then we found... You know, there, there was this alleyway, and there was literally open sewerage down the center of the of the alley, and we're stepping over that. And then there was this doorway, and there was a woman sitting in the doorway, and we were like, "Oh, excuse us. Is this looks like a stairway, dark stairway going up. Does this go to the top?" And she said, "Ah, go away. Ah, mazungus this is not for you. Go away." And as soon as they say this is not for you, it's like, "Oh no, it's definitely for us. We've definitely got to have a look at this one." So. Up the stairs we go, and it's really dark, and smells absolutely revolting. And there's like a Ugandan sitting there at every turn. Ah, Mazungu, ah, Mazungu, what's he doing? Ah, ah, eh. It's like, yeah, excuse me. We're literally stepping over people to get up this fucking stairway really tight, five or six stories, get to the top, and there's not even a door at the top, it just opens up into this bar. And the bar was literally, the room was maybe, it was a weird shape, but maybe 10 metres square, it was nothing, it was tiny. And there was just like a, a, a little bar there with a guy standing behind it. And there were like these little high tables. And there were about three or four guys in there. All Ugandans drinking. And uh, we walk in and the barman goes, Ah! Eh! Mzungu! Like, what? And this the, 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 the translation for that is literally, What the fuck? Did two white guys just walk into this fucking place? And we're like, uh, and when we see the doors, like the sun streaming, it was so dark on the stairway, it was like your eyes had to readjust when you came into the top par, and we're like, oh, that's the terrace that goes out, and we're like, uh, Sebo, because that's what you said to all the guys, like, Mr. Sebo, uh, can we have uh, two no specials, and he's like, ah, okay, and he pulls out two, it's like big frosty ones, like they're really cold, cracks them, hands them to us, and uh, we pull out our stubby coolers, because you always got to walk around with a stubby cooler to put your your beer in. That's made out of neoprene and you slip it in so it stays cold and uh and your hand doesn't warm it up. And we we walk out onto the terrace. This is this little terrace, man. This little it's it's to call it a terrace, it was an oversized balcony, I think, is the best. But it was a terrace, but it was pretty close to a balcony. And we go out there and that's it. There's the yellow umbrella and we look down and we have the whole of the taxi bus park below us, the markets, the football stadium, the heaving crush, the surge of humanity below us and we we toast our bottles of beer, huge grins on our faces because we did it we'd found the best bar in Kampala and it was not like the bar that some fucking whitey from South Africa had spent two million dollars and, and all the beautiful people were there blah, blah, blah. It was this dingy fucking bar. And that was our spot from that moment on, man. That was our spot. And the funny thing was, we went back there, I don't know how many times, dozen times, every time on the stairs was the same thing. Ah, Mazungu! Like they'd seen us before. Ah, Mazungu, what are you doing here? You can't come in here. Like it was like, didn't we do this before? Don't you remember? Do all of us Mazungus look the same to you? That's pretty racist. And that came from putting ourselves out there, right? All, right? All right, we've got a... And walking, walking around, exploring a city. And that was a nice thing about the, ha- the Hague today. Great city to walk. Really, really nice. Um, what a great day. A really, really great day. So thanks, Tom. And this podcast episode is about putting yourself out there, about saying yes. Instead of finding a reason to back out, because we can always find a reason to back out, oh, there were plenty of very good reasons why I shouldn't have got on a plane to Monaco last weekend. There were plenty of reasons why I could have said to Tana, oh, it really works really busy. No, no, because this today, this day, like last weekend in Monaco, I'll remember all the way through. I'll remember. And my neighbor Ton, was had such a great time because i was enjoying myself so much it was genuine we had a great conversation and a really good time put yourself out there guys put yourself out there it's that's the difference that's the difference all right shout outs to captain capitalism who sponsors this blog cappy i heard you finished your book mate Good stuff. We'll see if he publishes, of course. Maybe he'll pull out. That's what she said. You can check out him at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. Check out his YouTube channel, Arsehole Consulting uh, Business. His books. Got a new book coming out. uh, And uh, uh, a great guy and a good friend. Check out, uh, if you like this podcast, subscribe to this. Um, And you can subscribe to my blog. We've gone past... 450 subscribers, so good job there. Uh, Get My Books, Pushing Rubber Downhill, A Journey to Manhood via Whitewater Adventures, and Run But Guts, Pull Cones," A Rafting Adventure in the Italian Alps. Third book coming out sometime this year, uh, How to Be a Man in a Feminised World. Uh, This is your humble host, Adam Piggott. I've kept this to 40 minutes. That's as long as I want to go. You guys have been great. Have a great week. And find a reason to put yourself out there. Talk to you next week. Ciao.